Hey everyone, <laughs> a little bit different on this uh, sermon intro here. Um, so I had a little bit of trouble with the audio. I forgot to turn the microphone on for the scripture reading and just a little first part of the intro. So I'm going to go ahead and record it here while I'm on location to re- record one of my coffees with Alan. Um, so this is, uh, and then we'll just it'll cut straight to uh, the, the rest of the sermon that uh, in, in the worship center there. Um, <coughs> so we're going to read uh, Luke chapter 23. Uh, verses 1 through 25 um, here. So if you've got your, got your Bibles, you want to re- open up to that scripture passage. And it says this, Then the whole assembly rose and led him off to Pilate. And they began to accuse him, saying, We have found this man subverting our nation. He opposes payment of taxes to Caesar and claims to be Christ, a king. So Pilate asked Jesus, Are you the king of the Jews? Yes, it is as you say, Jesus replied. Then Pilate announced to the chief priests and the crowd, I find no basis for a charge against this man. But they insisted. He stirs up the people all over Judea by his teaching. He started in Galilee and has come all the way here. On hearing this, ah, Pilate asked if the man was a Galilean. When he learned that Jesus was from under Herod's jurisdiction, he sent him to Herod, who was also in Jerusalem at the time. When Herod saw Jesus, he was greatly pleased because for a long time he had been waiting to see him. For what had been, for he had heard about him, he hoped to see him perform some miracle. He plied with him uh, many questions, uh, plied with him with many questions, but Jesus gave him no answer. The chief priests and the teachers of the law were standing there, vehemently accusing him. Then, then Herod and his soldiers ridiculed and mocked him, dressing him in, ele- in an elegant robe. They sent him back to Pilate. That day, Herod and Pilate became friends. Before this, they had been enemies. Pilate called together the chief priests, the rulers of the, of the, um, the rulers and the people, and said to them, You brought me this man, as one who was, who was inciting the people to rebellion. I have examined him in your presence and have found no basis for your charges against him. Neither has Herod, for he sent him back to us. As you can see, he has done nothing to deserve death. Therefore, I will punish him and then release him. With one voice, they cried out, Away with this man! Release Barabbas to us! Well, Barabbas had been thrown into prison for an insurrection in the city and for murder. Wanting to release Jesus, Pilate appealed to them again. But they kept shouting, Crucify him! Crucify him! For the third time he spoke to them, Why? What crime has this man committed? I have found in him no grounds for the death penalty. Therefore, I will have him punished and then release him. But with loud shouts, they insistently demanded that he be crucified, and their shouts prevailed. So Pilate decided to grant their demand. He released the man who had been thrown into prison for insurrection and murder, and the one they asked for, and surrendered Jesus to their will. <coughs> you ever gotten like two different, you know, I'm sorry, there's, there's a couple different ways you can respond to news. You know, so certain kinds of news, like, you know, kind of out of the blue, um, or news that you maybe you've been waiting for, like news that's maybe out of the blue, like you get that you know that text message, um, or you get that phone call, or you know that email, um, and and it's if it's bad news, like out of out of blue, you know you get that phone call, and it's the hospital saying get down here, your you know your loved one's been in an accident, um, or you know get the, find out the bad news, maybe that you you've been anticipating, you've been looking forward to and, and waiting for, maybe not looking forward to, but anticipating and anxious for. The, the news from the doctor, 
you know, is it cancer? Is it not? Is it, uh, or from the mechanic, you know, is it going to be expensive fix? Is it going to be a cheap fix, a quick fix? Um, <coughs> and sometimes it's a, it's a surprise. It's like that, that gut punch, like, Ugh, you know, or that, that initial shock. Right. Um, or maybe like, the, it's just like that nervousness that, and then you get the bad news and it, it, your hope is just crushed. And it was the bad news that you were hoping not to hear. Right. Or on the, on the flip side, maybe you hear the good news Like you get, you know, that phone call or you get a phone call out of the blue and all of a sudden you're, you've got this happy surprise. You've got this joy and, or maybe this relief. Um, uh, and you, you, or you've been waiting in you know, long anticipating and hoping that it's good news, hoping that the, the, the mechanic is, you know, is, is cheaper than you thought. It's just a quick fix. Oh yeah. It was just a little, this little piece. I just fixed it and you're good to go. Or yeah, it's it's not cancer; it's indigestion. I don't know, whatever it is. And you have this, this it's almost like this this hope. You've been hoping for good news. You've been hoping for that that uh, that, that good report. Um, and and then you finally yes, it's good news. Awesome, yes. And it's that hope fulfilled. You get that rush of joy and, and relief, right? <coughs> and and in in, in, in in essence, I want to to pose that this is a this whole scripture passage with Jesus is actually this this hope fulfilled, which I'll get to here in a second. Um, but these last hours of Jesus's life are the main purpose of his entire life. Uh, Jesus is waiting. You know, all of the the thirty years of Jesus's life are leading up to this moment, and um, to where so is is he going to fulfill scripture or not? Because the think about this the trial of Jesus had to go exactly this way to fulfill scripture. It had to go to this place, you know, because it couldn't go to Herod where Herod might order him to be stoned to death because that's the Jewish way of execution. But he had to go back to Herod. He had to go to Herod. He had to go, go to, go to, I'm sorry, he had to go to Pilate. I'm sorry. And he, he, you know, he couldn't just die by Herod's hand. Yeah, he had to die the Roman way, um, <clears throat> to fulfill scripture, to fulfill his calling, to fulfill Psalm 22, 31, uh, to fulfill Isaiah 53, 52 and 53. He had to fulfill all scripture, you know, all the things that he's going to talk with, you know, the, the guys on the disciples on the way to Emmaus, on the road, to, on, the, on the road to Emmaus. Um, all these things from beginning to end in the Bible had to come true in this moment. All of this ha- was coming to a crux. Um, and so this is where we're getting to. We're getting to this is the point. This is Jesus' fulfilling text message of good news, hope fulfilled, not deferred. The point here tonight is that there is joy and rest in the midst of fear and anxiety because of the faithfulness of God. Let me say that a couple more times. There's joy and rest in the midst of fear and anxiety because of the faithfulness of God. One more time. There's joy and rest in the midst of fear and anxiety because of the faithfulness of God. Because one of the things I, I always say about the cross is that the most joyful person in all of human history 
in all moments of, hi- of human history, of all the people, there was no one more joyful than Jesus when he was dying on the cross. Was he happy? No. Was he glad? Was he giggy, giddy, laughing? No. He was suffering. There's a reason we get the Greek word for crucifixion is where we get our English word excruciating from. So whenever we say it was excruciating, well, was it like being hung on a cross? Because that's what it means. But Jesus was joyful. He was filled with joy and rest. Why? Because he knew that he was fulfilling all of Scripture. He knew that he was fulfilling eternal life for you and for me. He knew that by his death on the cross and his resurrection from the dead, we would spend eternity with him. And so I can see at this moment, he knows his fate is sealed and he relaxes, knowing that God will fulfill, God will sustain him till the end. And so throughout this whole trial, these, two, these, these three, three trials, there's kind of three trials back to back to back. And we're going to talk about, kind of have an overview of them. But let's look at, the, at, at these different trials as we go forward. So the first one being with, with Pilate. So this is right after the, the, you know, these Jewish authorities, this, the chief priests, are trying to accuse him. And then he's like, I am the son of God, basically is what he's saying. And they're like, oh, what, what further testimony do we need to hear? He's accused himself. He's, he's condemned himself. He's going to die. But they don't bring that accusation against Pilate, to, to Pilate. They didn't say, this man claims to be God. They said that this man claims to be a king. They, they kind of switch it a little bit. They kind of morph it a little bit. Why? Because they want to appeal to the Romans. What are the, what are the little trigger words that they can use? What are the hot button words? Of their culture. Oh, this Jesus has gone woke. Oh, this Jesus has gone fill in the blank. What are some of the, you know, think about the hot topic words. That's what they were using. They were trying to stir up this passion from, the, from, the, from these governmental leaders. They're bringing political charges against Jesus for breaking their own religious laws. And so, I mean, think about Jesus' ministry. For the most part, Jesus kind of stayed out of the, uh, the political sphere, right? Um, <clears throat> he, he kind of stayed away from the Gentile, Roman, political, economic world for the most part. Um, I mean, he related and, and blessed certain political figures. Uh, like, you know, for instance, like the, the, uh, the, the centurion. The guy, the centurion who had a lot of faith and he sent his servant to him. And, you know, or he came to Jesus and said, hey... Heal my servant. You don't even need to go into the, into the door. Like, you just say the word and you'll be healed. Right? So he, and Jesus commended the centurion for his faith. Right? And so, and the thing about the, the you know, when he, Jesus went across the Sea of Galilee and he went over into Gentile territory, because remember with the, all the pigs? Like, Israel didn't have pigs. This was a Gentile area. And he blessed them by, by planting the seed for the gospel in that demon-possessed man. He related to them, but he wasn't caught up with them. He kind of stayed out of that environment. Because it's so easy, is it not, to get sucked in. 
oh my gosh, so easy to get sucked into politics. We get so many emails and see things on, on Facebook, and I'm like, I must engage. No. The, I think one of the best buttons on the keyboard is not the enter button, but the delete button. <laughs> Select all, delete. <laughs> Backspace. That is the holiest button on the keyboard. Um, <laughs> it's so easy to get sucked into them. But Jesus resisted their temptations. Jesus resisted. He had this tranquil trust. And that's how he was able to resist. He had this tranquil trust in his mission. Jesus paid taxes. Just told, you know, he told them to fulfill their responsibilities to even the evil and corrupt Roman Empire and to live their lives trusting God. God will sustain. God will provide. That's his point. Jesus shows us that we can live an unhurried, non-anxious life in this world. No matter how corrupt, no matter how broken, no matter how unjust we see it, no matter how we see the political, economic, social sphere going, no matter who's in the White House, no matter who's in Helena, no matter who is in our city council or school boards, it doesn't matter. God shows us that we can live an unhurried, non-anxious life in this world, rendering unto America that which was, is America's. And rendering unto God what is God's. So think about this. So Pilate, you know, found, you know, found, figured this out. I mean, it's, it's like he's not dumb, you know. And so he realized after questioning Jesus, because there's a lot of to these different conversations that we don't have in the scripture. Um, but there, and there are other things written in other gospel uh, accounts. But one of the things that we know is that Pilate, you know, did question Jesus. And the way that he questioned Jesus, he found out this guy is not claiming to be anything of what they're talking about. He's not riling people up. He's not getting people up. So why did he send him to Herod? Well, there's maybe a couple of different ways that we can ask this. Maybe is he like looking for a way out? He's like, I want nothing to do with this. I mean, his wife even came down to him and said, you know, don't have anything to do with this man. I had a bad dream. I had a nightmare about this guy. Don't have anything to do with him. So he's like maybe like looking for an opportunity to just pass the buck. Right? Herod's got, got authority to kill people too. So maybe Herod can kill him. Well, or maybe he's looking for maybe like a second opinion before he makes the ruling. Maybe he is the only one that can actually make a death penalty. But so Jesus comes and he, they walk across. Some people say that there was in the palace or walked across town, brought Jesus over to, over to Herod. And Herod looks at him. He's like, ha ha, so we meet at last. Because Herod's been after him. And he, the Bible even says, he's like, you know, Herod's been like looking for an opportunity. He's like, oh yeah, this is, is going to be awesome. I'm going to have my own like entertainment at my party. It's going to be great. Right? But so like we, so maybe he'll do a miracle. Maybe he'll do a prophecy. Like maybe he'll do some tricks for us. Be some entertainment for us. Right? But it's interesting how the little change of heart here though. Because all the way in the beginning of Luke, we see in chapter 9, he was intrigued by him, but by chapter 13, he wanted to kill him. I mean, remember that. Um, going back here to 13, what did it say? Um, this is uh, 13, I think I believe it's 1. At that time, some people came to him and reported to him about the, Gal about the Galileans. Nope, that's the wrong one. Further down, 30, maybe 30s. 30s? There it is, yep. 31. 
At that time, some Pharisees came and told him, Get out of here. Herod wants to kill you. He said to them, Go tell that fox. Look, I'm driving out demons and performing healings today and tomorrow, and on the third day I will complete my work. Yet it is necessary that I travel today, tomorrow, and the next day, because it is not possible for a prophet to perish outside of Jerusalem. So Herod is looking to kill him in this moment. It doesn't seem like a guy who's intrigued with him. But somehow his, his mind has changed. Maybe he's been hearing more and more about Jesus, right? Maybe he realizes, okay, this is not John the Baptist reincarnated or come back from the dead. You know, his head didn't go, you know, get, yeah, get put back on and like, you know, come back to life, right? Um, and so Herod Antipas um, is questioning him. Um, But here's the thing that's interesting, because Herod is a Jewish king, a Jewish ruler in the area. So though we may not have expected Jesus to maybe perform a miracle or, you know, during this moment, we might have at least expected Jesus to have some words for him. I got words for you, buddy. Like the prophets of old. Right? I mean, these prophets like Jeremiah, Isaiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, like all these, these, these prophets, they weren't shy about having words for the Jewish rulers, for the Jewish kings. Not just for the religious, religious rulers, but for the kings that were reigning. They, these prophets had words for Manasseh. These prophets had words for Ahaz. But Jesus, what? Remained silent. Unlike the other prophets. This was his prophetic act of fulfilling Isaiah 53. He said, as a lamb brought to, the, you know, to be sheared. Before, you know, before it shears, the lamb is silent. Jesus had given his words. Throughout the last three years of his ministry, Jesus had given his words. We got them. Most of them. Well, I wouldn't say most of them. Some of them. A tiny, tiny fraction, as John would say. Right? We have some of his words. Jesus spoke. And what did he warn of? Like the prophets of old. Like Isaiah, like Ezekiel, like Jeremiah. They were prophesying like 50, 60 years before the destruction of Israel. And so was Jesus. And in that way, they were very much alike. Jesus was proclaiming, and remember, the destruction of the temple, Israel, Jerusalem, and the entire Jewish religious, political, economic, and social structure. But this was not a time to talk about that. This was a time to stay silent. This was a time to not yield authority to one who had no authority over Jesus. And Herod sent him back. They mocked him, beat him, dressed him up. Like early, you know, royal drag. You know, dressing him up as a, as a king and mocking him. Like, oh, I'm a king. Oh, yeah. Mocking Jesus. Blaspheming. But even though he mocked Jesus, even though he beat him, the, the guards and everyone who were there, Jesus suffered and endured all this stuff, they both came up with the same verdict. Innocent. Not guilty. Both of them. Pilate even said, he's like, you guys, he, he found nothing wrong with them. That's why he's, they sent them back to me. 
Both of us do not find fault with this man. This is where Jesus, I could feel getting a little anxious. Is he really going to beat me and let me go? Am I going to be stoned in some back alley versus being crucified like the word is like like the word said? But why do they think he's innocent? What, are the, what is the evidence is based on this? I mean, think about this. Jesus is not your typical revolutionary rebel, you know, rebel, right? He, you know, think about this. You know, minus the, the one dude, you know, that one guy, you know, you know, that guy who Jesus immediately and miraculously healed in the garden. Think about this. No one else was hurt. These guys came like lightly armed with a couple swords. That's all they had. You know, they might have had the, you know, the, the, the bottle you know, from dinner, the, the wine bottle that one of them, you know, swiped. Oh, get them! Because yeah. Jews know how to party. But they had nothing. They had nothing to fight with. And they had, you know, remember this. Of all the people that were there, no one was hurt. They were only lightly armed. They offered no resistance. All Think about this. It wasn't just the 12 disciples. At this point, there were roughly about 120 disciples Think about that. In the garden, we have a crowd of 120 people. And not one person was hurt, except for that one dude, but he was healed. It's, it's all good. And one dude ran away naked. They, none of them fought back when Jesus was arrested. In fact, they all booked it. They all ran away. That is not a good rebellion. If it's a rebellion. This is evidence. It wasn't a rebellion. It wasn't a revolution. In the, in the terms of the way that the Jewish rulers were trying to you know, pinpoint it. That's probably like, you know, they'd heard all of this stuff. They're like, yeah, that guy, ain't, no. Like, that guy's not anything of what you're talking about. <laughs> you know, Jesus' disposition before both of them as well, and himself was calm, collected. He didn't resist himself. He, he didn't beg or plead or or lodge any threats or resistance against either one of these rulers. His presence before them was a non-anxious, unhurried presence. In the midst of their anger, in the midst of their false accusations, in the midst of their beatings, in the midst of their violence, in the midst of them dragging him around town, pushing him, shoving him, pushing him down, hitting him, Tripping him. Neither one, Herod or Pilate, could, they both could see that Jesus' only crime was that the chief priest didn't like him and wanted to get rid of him. That was his only crime. That he ticked off the religious rulers. Both Pilate and Herod hated the Jewish leaders. And this is probably why they became friends. You know, as I said, you know, the enemy of my enemy is my friend. So maybe that's why they became friends, right? Frenemies. <laughs> and then we see this, this narrative at the end with Barabbas. Barabbas. It's interesting, actually, some of the, um, some of the, the translations actually have Barabbas' like, first name as Jesus. Jesus Barabbas or Jesus Hamashiach? Which Jesus are they wanting? Are they seeking? Barabbas, think about this. Barabbas himself 
was actually guilty of all of the accusations that the Pharisees were lobbying at Jesus. He was an insurrectionist. He refused. To, he told people to not pay taxes to Caesar. He told people to, you know, forget you, Romans. Fighting, murdering, all the things that they were accusing Jesus of, Barabbas was guilty of. Jesus, think about this. During Passover, this is when this all happened, during Passover, Jesus would pass over and become the Passover lamb for Barabbas. Jesus would be crucified, literally, in Barabbas' place. Think about this. In Barabbas, all of us find ourselves. We all see ourselves. This is one of the most, Barabbas is one of the most beautiful pictures in all of the Bible because he represents you. He represents me. He represents your neighbor. He represents your friends and your family. He represents your, your, the people that you see on an everyday basis. Barabbas is humanity wrapped up in a person. The sinner deserving of condemnation and death set free and Jesus died in our place that we might live. And as Barabbas is set free, I love this, this image in the Passion of the Christ. If you've never seen it, there's a scene where, where this, this scene where, where Jesus and Barabbas are both, stand, both standing there. And they release Barabbas. And he looks over at Jesus and makes eye contact with Jesus. And you see his entire disposition change to one of peace for just a moment. And then he goes free. And he's happy and he's celebrating. This man who was drugged before this council, about to be crucified for his crimes, Jesus takes his place. And he leaves a joyful man. Because in the end, they won over. They won the day, as it's, as it's been said in, in the, the kingdom translation. The Pharisees and the chief priests won the day with their words. Crucify him! Crucify him! And whether Pilate was just a weakling or whether this was God's hand of providence on him, he said, okay. In the very last words of our passage today, he says, he delivered him over to their will. That word will is desire, wants, wish. Basically in our vernacular, basically it says Pilate did what they wanted. He delivered, he delivered Jesus over to what they were asking for. And he, they scourged him and they crucified him, which we'll get to next week. But the point I want to see here, I want us to, to enter into this, because as I was in, in prayer about this passage, I kept wondering, you know, my feelings were fear. I was like getting anxious. I was like, this like, you know, imagining different situations around here, you know, of what would happen. Like, I would rise up. I'd be, I'd be punching people. I'd be like, grab my sidearm and, and go at them. 
You don't come after me and my family. You don't come after me and my church. I will shoot you in the head. Come at me, bro. Think about the, the, the anger and the fear and the anxiety that, it, that riled up in me. You, you guys, do you, you dudes, am I the only weird one that like has like daydreams of, of like attacking people that like, you know, defending my family? <laughs> like, you know, someone walks in here, I'm like, imagining, okay, if I had my side, I'm like, you know, like these, like, daydreams of, like, protecting people and, like, defending my family and, like, bum-rushing a bear, you know, out, out in our tent, you know, having these weird daydreams, right? I had, I had this, like, anxiety and this, like, this, you know, the papa bear rise up in me and this anger, almost I felt like this righteous anger, I would have punched them, I would have, I would have slapped that chief priest across his face. What? Okay, Peter. <laughs> right. But I kept asking, like, God, Jesus, what was your, what was going through your heart? He was like, bro, because Jesus says that, bro, I was peaceful. I had joy because I knew that it would be fulfilled. I knew that my mission would come to fruition. Hey, that rhymed. Didn't even plan it. My mission would come to fruition. I knew that I had, I was accomplishing my Father's will. I would be crucified. I would be able, I would have the privilege, I would have the blessing of dying for my beloved bride. Putting her on display, filling them with my very presence, exploding, tearing that, that ugly veil in half and going out into all the world and, and just pouring myself out on all of humanity so that all people would know my grace, would know my love, know my deliverance, know my presence. That's why I was joyful. That's why I was at rest. That's why I didn't say anything. I was at peace. Jesus had joy and rest in the midst of fear and anxiety because of the faithfulness of God. He was resting in the power of the Holy Spirit. These times when we should be anxious and angry and fearful and like Papa Bear rising up about to fight, but there's a peace and a calm, it's by the power of the Holy Spirit. When we want to go on to Facebook or Instagram and correct people that are wrong on the internet about politics, come at me, bro. Delete. Delete. This is the most spirit-filled button of all the keyboard. Peace. We used to say when I was a, a social media... Um, person for a church um, if you engage you enrage no one learns anything on the internet come on <laughs> like on, on Facebook in the comment section nothing good comes from comment sections except for maybe really awesome memes but <laughs> but anyway, Jesus had this peace because he walked by the power of the Holy Spirit he walked with the presence of the faithfulness of the Father with him Okay. We'll read that one. 
And so because Jesus had this, he gave us his Holy Spirit. He gave us his presence so that because we now have joy and rest in the midst of fear and anxiety because of the faithfulness of Christ, because of the faithfulness of God. We can rest in these times in our lives. When it doesn't make sense, when we feel like we should respond in this way or that, to walk by the Spirit and say, God be with me to live your way. Change my mind. Metanoia, right? Change my thinking so that I can engage in your way, your truth, and your life. Think about this whole section. We've seen what Jesus is experiencing, but think about the people who are there. They were literally judging God. How often have we heard this phrase? I even saw a tattoo the other day. Only God can judge me. As if like that's some like trump card, drop the mic. What up? I out-religious to you, religious person. Only God can judge me. That should scare you. Only God can judge me. But here's what they're really saying. Only I can judge God. Only my perception of who God is and what he's really like matters and is true. Your way is garbage. So your God can't judge me. Only my God can judge me. And my God doesn't really care what I do. Except my God is me. So there's that. The gods of this world. The gods of comfort. But here's the reality. And here's the beauty. Is that only God can save me. Only God can save you. You can't save you. Chemicals can't save you. Relationships can't save you. Politics can't save you. Leaders can't save you. Your spouse can't save you. Your children can't save you. Your grandchildren can't save you. Only God can save you. And only God can sustain you. 1 Corinthians 1.9 I'm sorry, 4 through 9 says this, I always thank my God for you because of the grace of God given to you in Christ Jesus, that you were enriched in him in every way, in all speech and all knowledge. In this way, the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you so that you do not lack any spiritual gift as you eagerly wait for the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ. He will also strengthen you to the end so that you will be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful. You are called by him into fellowship with his son, Christ Jesus, our Lord. Only God can sustain you. And God's way is better. Philippians 3, verses 7 through 14. 
But everything that was of, was a gain to me, he talks about like all these different things. I did this and this, and you know, circumcised on the flesh, in the on the in the flesh, a tribe of the tribe of the 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 tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew born of this, and Pharisee. Woo! I was awesome. Woo! Suck on that. You know, I was according to the flesh, according to this world, I was the bee's knees. I was awesome. I was recognized. I was respected and honored and given favor and authority. I was a leader. He said, but everything that was a gain to me, I have considered it to be a loss because of Christ. More than that, I also consider everything to be a loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Because of him, I have suffered the loss of all things and consider them as dung. That'd be more colorful in our language. But this Bible would have to have an explicit warning label on it. You know what I'm saying. So that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own from the law, but one that is through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God based on faith. My goal is to know him and and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings. Being conformed to his death, assuming that I will somehow reach the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already reached the goal or or have already attained perfection, but I make every effort to hold, to take hold of it, because I also have been taken hold of by Christ. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself to have taken a hold of it. But one thing I do, one thing I do know, forgetting what is behind and reaching forward to what is ahead, I pursue as my goal the prize promised by God's heavenly call in Christ Jesus. Only God can save you. Only God can sustain you. God's way is better. And that's why we can have joy and rest in the midst of fear and and anxiety because of the faithfulness of God to us. It may not be easy in the moment, but it matters in the reconciliation. And eventually over time, the way that we react will change. As we shift our thinking, as we change our minds, walking by His Holy Spirit, walking by God's Holy Spirit every day, walking by the Holy Spirit, walking by the Holy Spirit, just saying in the morning, say, good morning, Holy Spirit. I'm here. I want to meet with you. Walk with me today. I want to be in your presence. I want to know more of you. And the more you continue to walk by the power and the filling of the Holy Spirit, the more these situations in your thinking will change and your responses and your reactions will shift. And this is why we walk with one another as well. Encouraging one another. Discussing things. Like at our theology pub. In our act groups, we, we come together and we, we, we talk about how to respond. And it ingrains itself in our minds, like songs on the radio. 
It ingrains into our minds, and then we start to live it out. More and more. So rest in that. Walk by the Holy Spirit. Pursue joy and rest. Live a life of joy and rest. So when these opportunities to have fear and anxiety come up, you're like, I don't care. I've got joy and rest. I can approach this stressful, anxious, and fearful situation with God's way. Because his way of responding is a lot better than mine. His way is a lot better than the way that you want me to respond. Growing in wisdom and maturity in our faith. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you, thank you so much for, your, our, for our time together with you. We thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you, Lord, that you endured the trials. You endured the beatings. You endured the suffering, Lord, so that you would be made much of, so that you would endure to the end, so that you would accomplish salvation for the world, that you, Lord, would be glorified and become our great Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lord, for enduring the trials. For it's in Jesus' name we pray all these things. Amen.